Well, really good to see all of you here this morning. If you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, we are in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning as we are systematically walking through uh, this amazing book, and that is kind of our pattern here at Fellowship Bible Church. I'm sure you've heard the phrase that a picture is worth a thousand words, right? You've heard that? Ken Gyre, in his book, A Father's Gift, The Legacy of Memories, records uh, a snapshot that he had of his growing up years when he was uh, early years of high school. He had this event where the doorbell rang, he went and got it, and there was a, as he described him, about a 17-ish year old young man standing there with a briefcase dressed up. And as the young man started to speak, he clearly had something wrong and when things weren't right, and he kind of talked out of the side of his mouth and, and his words came out, he said, like, kind of like slanted-like, and he's like, I, I didn't even know what to do. And so what do you do when you face something you're unfamiliar with or challenging? Well, you get dad, right? So he, he went and told his dad, there's, there's some, somebody here at the door, he's got a briefcase. And, he's, and he stood by and watched to see how his dad was going to kind of get rid of this problem. And so he's, he's watching dad. And, and dad, on the other hand... Um, he uh, listened to the young man and invited him in, had him come into the living room, sat him down, and, and uh, this young guy, with, as he's talking, and he's hard to understand, he's, in, he's selling socks, and he pulls them out of these briefcases, and they're, and they're like these really ultra-sheer old men's socks, you know, the ones that are like, like worthless, you know? And he's, he's selling these socks, and money was really tight at their home, and, and yet here's his dad, and he's treating this man with kindness, Respect, love, showing an interest. And he said his dad then ends up buying three pair of these worthless socks. He thinks things are like blue, brown, and black. And the young man uh, left, and his dad never said, hey, listen, when you encounter the disadvantaged in this life and those who are having struggles far greater than your own, this is how you treat them. No, he never, he never said any of that. He said, but how my dad handled and worked with that young man, left an indelible impression on my life. And so it shouldn't surprise you that Ken, who found his calling as an author, his very first book was about a disabled individual. He, on a frequent basis, volunteers to work with those who have extreme disadvantage. And he writes of just wanting to show kindness, to in some way lighten the burden of another going through difficulty. And he says, you know, it is always good just to smile and let them know that they're cared for. I tell you this because just like Ken's dad left a significant impression that shaped his life, I want you to know that our Father, our Heavenly Father, has done the same. In fact, the highest calling that we could ever have is to be like God. And the text that we're going to look at today in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, tell us and give us a picture of what this is to look like. Friends, what we are about to look at is profoundly deep. And I feel woefully inadequate to even present it to you. But if you want to know how do we live a life of love? The answer is in the text we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 5, 
verses 1 and 2. Let's take a look. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You know how the world loves, don't you? The world loves the lovely, the loving, and the lovable. If you're any one of those three, you get a lot of love, don't you? Oh, yeah. But do you know how God loves? He loves the unlovely, the unloving, and the unlovable. And this is a text to call us to follow in this way. And I uh, take a lot of counsel from what John Calvin wrote hundreds of years ago when he said this, if a preacher is not first preaching to himself, better that he falls on the steps of the pulpit and breaks his neck than preaches that sermon. Friends, I, uh, as I've been living in this text for several weeks now, I see that there is a room for a greater work of grace in my own life. But in these past days, I've had an opportunity to really wrestle with this and try to, to reach its depth in the experiences that I've had being in Spokane, Washington, being with my dad who's on his final days of his journey with cancer. And, you know, it's been quite a journey taking him from, via ambulance to home, having him set up in a hospital bed. He has three different cancers. One of those is bone cancer, and if you know that, how painful that is, and trying to, trying to manage this situation and work with everything that comes. And some of you know firsthand what this looks like. And then just uh, late yesterday afternoon, saying goodbye to him for the final time, and getting on a plane and heading back home. I tell you this because I have been trying to live in this text. And that's what you want to be as a pastor and as a preacher and as a Christian, to live in the text of Scripture. But how is it that we can live a life of love? What does that really look like? You know, as Christians, we know, like Jesus said, John thirteen thirty five. by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. But what does it really look like to live a life of love? As concisely as I can present it to you, I will tell you this. We are most like God when we love like Christ. So let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. As children of God, we walk in love, first of all, by imitating God's love closely. Look what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Every time you see the word therefore in Scripture, it's telling you that all that has gone before is now to be brought to one's mind so that you can take the steps forward for what is about to come. Ephesians is an absolutely amazing book. It is unfathomable how deep it is. It tells us about our union and our communion with God. And as a result of this relationship with Christ, the living God, we are, as the text says, to be imitators of God. The Greek word there is mimetes. It's where we get our word mimic from. 
It is to follow the pattern, to follow the lead, to act in a similar way. That's what the word means. But here he says we are to imitate God. What? Who even thinks like that? When's the last time you've thought about how you're doing to imitate God? And you're like, what? How is that even possible? And I'll tell you, it is impossible, if not for the final part of this sentence, chapter 5, verse 1. You have to be one of his beloved children. You have to know him. You know, it's really interesting that the scriptures rather frequently highlight that we are to imitate God. Or you also find that we are to follow in the footsteps or to imitate Christ, which is basically saying the same thing. You see, it is natural for children to imitate and follow the patterns of their parents. And, you know, as they get older, some will, and they'll flourish, and it'll be very evident, and and some might walk a very different path, but typically you see, especially in the growing up years, as they're laying their foundation, they follow the footsteps and the patterns that they saw in their parents. And we, as children of God, we are to imitate and follow the pattern of our Heavenly Father, who is absolutely perfect. And so when we see this imitating God, think of God's characteristics. For instance, God is holy, absolutely set apart from sin. His children are to be holy. Let me ask you, are you? Are you holy? Are you set apart to God? Or are you pretty much just amalgamate to the world? And there's really no difference between before Christ and now knowing him. Imitating God, we are to be kind because God is kind even to the ungrateful, right? Um, We are to be forgiving because God is forgiving. We are to, like God in Christ, humbled himself and became a man, the incarnation. You and I are to reflect the humility of God, to see it, understand it, and it's to be demonstrated in our lives. But the text specifically here emphasizes that we are to walk in love. We are to be imitators of God. Friends, the example that we are to look at, though, is God himself. How does God love, God forgive, demonstrate kindness? That is to be reflected in his children. Friends, this is profound and deep. Rarely does anybody go where we're going when we encounter a text like this. But I want you to know the power of example is probably the most effective means of teaching. I mean, you you see that. Children become like parents. Students become a lot like their teachers. They have an example in front of them. Uh, This week, uh, one of my dad's doctors visited him, Dr. Jerry Graham. And while he was talking, he talked about a friend that he had been talking with who is a fellow physician. He said, this man has such kindness, and he knows his medicine so very well. And he said, I would like to be more like him. He's following in a pattern. And even in my own life, I I feel like I'm very much the product of excellent men who have made investments and in some cases currently do. 
I'm the product of great mentors. And so these men that have invested my life, going all the way back to my college years as a brand new Christian with so many rough edges, it still scares me to even think about it, to know and to think like, what would they say? How would they think about this? What would they do? How do they live? To know them and to think about this, and it's, I want you to know that, wow, that is an example. That's something that I think I could do. But of all the examples in your life, and I encourage you, learn what you can from other people, right? By far, the supreme example that we are to follow is what our text highlights here. We are to be imitators of God. That will require us to pray and ask God, Lord, help me to follow your lead. And you're like, well, how am I going to know what God is like? Do you know how you know how God is really like? You read the book he has given us, the Bible, and you see God on display, and he's calling us to follow in his pattern. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You see, as children of God, we walk in love by imitating God's love closely. But let me show you something else from this text. We also, as children of God, walk in his love when we're knowing Christ's love personally. Did you see that? We are beloved children in verse 1. We will enjoy for eternity this awesome reality that we who truly are trusting Christ are one of his children. If you're kind of like the attitude like, well, yeah, I'm a child of God, big deal. I don't think you're really understanding your new identity. This is going to thrill you and bring awe for eternity that you're one of God's children. In fact, it is one of the emphasis of the book of Ephesians. This is a deep, deep book, and I want you to know, like, it talks right at the very beginning in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. You remember it said, in love... He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Did you see that? Remember when we covered that? Like, whoa! He predestined God. You want to see sovereignty on display? He predestined you and I to be sons of God, children of God. And he has taken us, in chapter 2, from death to life. Like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Even when you were dead in your transgresses, transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So you and I, before we knew Christ, we may have been wrapped up in tradition and religion and rituals. We may have been sinning in some pretty horrific ways that we don't want anybody to know about. But we were separated from God. You and I were spiritually dead, and he made you alive. Alive by virtue of this relationship with Christ. In fact, so alive that it says, like in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, and that we are rooted and grounded in this kind of love. Think of it. The sovereign God of the universe, Jesus himself, reigning in heaven is also at the same time reigning in the hearts of those who believe. His very presence, the Holy Spirit himself, dwells in his people. And because we are children of God, do you remember how Ephesians chapter 3 ends with that magnificent prayer? And it says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. That tells us that 
whatever God is asking us to do, he is able to do it in us as we are trusting Christ. And you know where that gets started? It gets started with love. We are to walk, like it says in Ephesians 4.1, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And as we come to Ephesians 5.1, he says we're to be imitators of God in this kind of love. Friends, before you and I became Christians, our old nature, and I'm not just talking from my own personal experience, was selfish, right? All about me, right? What I want, how I want it, right? You know what that looked like? But when you and I came to know Christ, what happens is we have now a new nature because we are united with him. The old nature, the old nature builds walls and declares war, right? The new nature, though, you know what it does? It builds bridges and establishes peace. And friends, this is a process. That's why he says to be. This, it's, it's not like a one and done. You become a Christian, like automatically you love like God perfectly. Oh, no, no, no. It's a process. It's called sanctification. You're being set apart to God. You are growing in holiness. It's God at work in you, but he intends for progress. He has given us his Holy Spirit for that process to actually be manifested in our lives. And the only way that happens is if we know Christ personally. You know his love. And notice, you want to see what love looks like? Verse 2, he says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. And here he's calling to mind the sacrificial language in the Old Testament where they would bring sacrifices to God and they would like burn these sacrifices and up would come this smoke But it was a fragrant aroma to God. It demonstrated faith, sacrifice, love, joy. As the worshiper shared in this experience, and God was so very well pleased for a heart that is fully given over to him. And that is what Christ did on our behalf. It is an offering and a sacrifice. You see, that offering alludes to that which the worshiper brings. And a sacrifice refers to the sacrificing of animals. And when he talks about this fragrant aroma, that this sacrifice and this offering of Christ, God wasn't pleased because sin needed death. Because sin brings death, that's not what pleased God. Or that God had to send his son in order to satisfy the, uh, satisfy this demand of death. What pleased God is that justice was satisfied because Christ willingly came and became this fragrant aroma, this offering and sacrifice on our behalf. This was the plan from eternity past. There are promises and prophecies given throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he became this perfect sacrifice. And him being this sacrifice of love, not only satisfied God's just wrath against sin, but it provided for his people absolute forgiveness new identity, peace, hope, and eternity. You have Christ, you have forgiveness, you have new life, you have purpose, you have identity, and you have absolute certainty that you're going to be with him forever. This sacrifice of Christ and all that went into it, that perfect life, it was a fragrant aroma to God. And if you and I are to live a life of love, we have to know Christ intimately. And personally, you see, Christ's love was poured out 
on the cross. But Christ's love must be more than a fact that we recognize. It is a reality that we are to experience. It's one of the reasons why we just keep reading over and over the gospel accounts, because we see what love looks like when it's personified. If you want to know what love looks like with skin on it, you look at Jesus. Jesus' love wasn't just a one-time event at the cross, though. it's, It's his whole way of life. So, for instance, you see the shortest verse in the English Bible. Anybody know what it is? That's Good. They were better first service, but second service, yes, you're doing all right. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five, And you know, I want you to know scholars have spent a lot of time studying this out, even in Greek, even reading it backwards in Greek, trying to figure out why did Jesus weep? And when it comes down to it, why did Jesus weep at the grave of Lazarus, his friend? It's because Jesus cared. In fact, loving was his way of life. It was demonstrated in how he loved them and served them and prayed for them, provided for them, protected for them, caring for them. Jesus' whole way of life was a life of love. And you remember then shortly before he goes to the cross, before he is beaten beyond recognition, do you remember he had that final supper? It's referred to as the last supper with his disciples. They were celebrating the Passover And certainly the disciples picked up like, whoa, something serious is going on. But you know how conversation kind of goes in the direction of the people that are attending the gathering? Do you remember what happened that the the conversation actually, Luke records this, why the disciples got on the topic of which one of them was the greatest? Can you imagine what that looked like, you know? Well, you know, Peter, you got a point here, but you're a total loser. And like, you know, and they're and they're they're having this exchange, right? And Jesus is taking us all in, and then remember after supper, why Jesus does what was supposed to happen before they ever ate. You remember the the lowest servant, and that's whoever that is, you're from the very bottom of the ladder. Your job was to wash people's feet as they came in, so that then when they reclined, they're At least their feet were nice and clean. But, you know, if you're really worried about you being the greatest, eh, eh, you're not washing anybody's feet. Mm -mm. And so guess what? No one washed feet that day. But Jesus, at the end of that supper, after listening to them do a little dialogue on why they're the greatest, he gets up and he takes that, that bowl and that basin and that towel and he washes their feet. And friends, that was a living parable of his life. If you want to know and have a picture of what true spiritual leadership and shepherding looks like, all you have to do is focus on Jesus and the order of the towel. See him in action. It's a life of love. And what we want to do is that we have to know Christ personally, intimately know this kind of love and when we do, as we're, as we're seeing this and believing it and experiencing it, and I want you to know, like, like one of the richest experiences of my life is to know God's guidance, to turn to him even when I don't feel like it. And life is out of control and it's got a lot of hard things in it. To know that he's with me, that his plan can be trusted even though I don't understand it. Sometimes I'm like, why is that even in this? But to know him personally. That's why he has given us Jesus. And as children of God, we walk in love by imitating God's love closely. But second of all, we knowing 
Christ's love personally, that you believe it, that you take him at his word. Some of you, you think God's barely tolerating you, right? You, can, you don't even like yourself, and you're like, pretty sure God doesn't like me. I want you to know that if you're a child of God, you're a beloved child of God. Will you stop operating so much on your feelings and operate on faith, which is taking God at his word and believe him? Believe him. He really loves you. And as we are knowing Christ's love personally, guess what? We walk in this life of love. Let me give you one other point here that I want to highlight from this text. As children of God, we walk in love by imitating God's love closely, knowing Christ's love personally, but also giving our love graciously and sacrificially. You see, he says in verse 2 that we are to walk. This isn't a new word for us as we've been going through Ephesians. It speaks of one's way of life. It is a step-by-step progression. This is how we are to walk. We are to walk in love. And that means that we are looking for opportunities for God to express his love through our life. That requires us not just to know the truth, but actually be intentional to live it. I love what Charles Spurgeon writes on this subject. And he, listen to this, this is great. He says, meditation is a happy, holy, profitable engagement. And it will instruct us, strengthen us, comfort us, inspire our hearts, and make our souls steadfast. But we must not stop at meditation. We must go on to imitation of the character of God. We must let our spiritual life not only bud and blossom in devout thought, but let it bring forth fruit in holy action. We must not be satisfied with feeding the soul by meditation but rise up from the banquet and use the strength that we have gained. Sitting at the feet of Jesus must be succeeded by following in the footsteps of Jesus. You see, Jesus' love was self-giving, self-sacrificing. And like it says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us, as we really allow ourselves to experience and believe his love, it puts us in a position because of Christ in you as a beloved child to start expressing that to others. And you're like, okay, my goodness, Grant. Mm. (laughs) Okay, what would that look like practically? What would that look like like this week? Well, I'll just draw your attention to the verse right preceding Ephesians 5.1, Ephesians 4.32. You have a whole Bible that's going to give you all sorts of instruction and imperatives, but let's just look at just one verse of what does it look like to live a life of love. Verse 32, chapter 4, be kind to one another. The idea of being free from unselfish concern, where you're, you're actually caring about the welfare of others, being tender-hearted, speaks of being sympathetic and affectionate and compassionate to the interests of others and forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. To pardon an offense, to release someone from a debt, whether real or perceived, whether greatly known, or it's that hidden cost that has hit you so very deeply and brought so many tears, but to, in Christ, to know his forgiveness and in his strength, 
begin to forgive others. And I want you to know, if you've got a deep hurt, it's a process. You might have to keep coming back to this over and over and over again. But it is possible in Christ. And you're like, well, why should I love like this? Well, simply, it's essential to the nature of God who he has called us to imitate his ways. It is the example of Jesus, our Lord, and it is the experience of the spirit of God being manifested in his people when we love like this. But you know, we, we struggle and I struggle. How, why is it hard to love like this? I'll give you one word, fear. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, writes this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around the hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Look it up, lock it up safely in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless. It will not change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. Why do we not love like this text is calling for? Uh, been wrestling this with this myself. I'll give you some reasons that I've seen in me and perhaps you can identify. One, we've been burned, right? Somebody has really railroaded us and they've hurt us bad. And what happens? <laughs> Up goes that shield, right? And you can put a wall, you can smile and you can do what you need to do, right? But no one's coming in. I'm not going to be hurt like that. Again, Another reason, though, is, is we're not broken. You know, if self is still on the throne, like this, is, this life is really all about you, you are not really interested in God's will or his glory, but you're really interested in your comfort and your entertainment and you being the, the star of the show, uh, you're not broken, and um, you're probably not going to follow God's pattern of imitating his love. This is a hard issue between you and God. He fully intends to address it. He's doing so now. But let me give you another reason. We don't believe that's really all that important. We're like, nah, you know, that's nice. That's in the Bible. Great. But that's not really all that important to me and what I'm trying to accomplish in this life. I want you to know, friends, that because of our relationship with Christ, we can really change. This is really possible. In fact, when we take steps of faith, when we walk in this manner, like it's talking about, if you will try and extend yourself in love, and many of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, you will see yourself grow. You're like taking steps of growth. There's a joy that just comes from walking with God. Yeah, it's fearful. It's risks. You're going to get hurt sometimes. It's going to happen. But guess what? You're moving forward by faith. You're seeing God at work. This is how spiritual growth takes place. It can't be head knowledge. You guys are really smart, and you know a lot of Bible, right? But God wants us to live a lot of Bible. And that's where I'm at. I'm like, God, help me to do this in your strength. And when we do, we take steps of love. And in fact, friends, there's like this visceral reaction that takes place. It's joy. 
It's like, wow, I'm, I'm actually doing things I never thought I'd do before. I'm carrying and extending love in ways that I, I didn't think were even capable of with me. It's God at work in you. And it all, my friends, it actually becomes contagious. Like, late last night when I'm flying, I, I had an experience that I've never had on a plane before. And I've flown a lot. I've had all sorts of experiences. Uh, I've even been on a plane that caught on fire. One of the engines was on fire, and we had to do an emergency landing. But I never had the experience that I had last night. As I'm flying, and it's, you know, it's all dark, and then the flight attendants come, and they're, they're passing out treats or whatever, snacks. It keeps getting less and less. That's all I'll say. Okay, anyway. And, and, we're, and we're packed in there. Like, I don't know if you've ever been around a cattle truck and stuff like that, but I mean, we're packed in there like that, you know? And I'm sitting between two guys, and I can't even put my elbows, and I'm trying to work on my message, right? You know? We've already done our talking, and, you know, a uh, few hours, I will be with the church, and I want to be prepared. So I'm working on my sermon, and, then, and the flight attendants are coming, and they're passing out treats, but there's a, a girl with them. She's wearing a sweatshirt, and she's maybe like 11, 12, I couldn't tell, it's kind of dark. And she's passing out napkins. And uh, so this is very unusual. Um, she certainly doesn't have a uniform on, and she's passing out napkins, she's really friendly. And like, everybody is very responsive. I mean, people are so thankful when uh, like an 11-year-old girl is passing out napkins on an airplane, and they're thanking her, and like, well, this is really sweet and cute. And I'm like, so, you know, I'm like, this is great. So 15 minutes later, uh, this same young girl, like 11 or 12, She's picking up trash, and she's got one of these trash bags, you know, and she's like, and so, like, everybody is giving her trash, and, and she comes, and, and she looks at me, and she goes, are you working on your homework? And I, and because I'm, like, working on my message, and I'm like, well, kind of. I said, I'm, I'm getting ready to uh, write, I'm working on writing a message that I'm going to be giving tomorrow at church. And, and she's looking at me, and I said, hey, are you, like, is one of those flight attendants, like, your sister or your mom? She goes, no, I'm just flying. And I, I saw all the people on the plane, and she kind of waves her arm, and like, the plane was packed out. And she goes, I thought they would need help, so I, I'm just helping. And everybody's taking this conversation in. I'm like, I have never been helpful on a plane. I'm thinking like, give me that bag. It's my turn. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everyone's like just marveling at this girl. Like, whoa, who is this? Friends, that's how it is when you live a life of love. When it's, you're, it's done being about you and it's now about God and how you might be able to be of service and love one another, uh, friends, it had a huge reaction. It left a big impression on me. Friends, I, I tell you all of this because God intends for us to leave his footprints on the lives of the people that we touch Dave Kraft, in his excellent book, Leaders Who Last, writes of an experience of being at uh, his kid's school, once again talking with the counselor. In fact, the same counselor had all four of his kids, a woman by the name of Sue Krenwinkel. And as he's sitting there, um, she's talking about whatever the issue is with one of their kids, uh, he becomes mesmerized by the picture that's behind Sue. It's a picture of Sue, and She's with different students at prom and a football game and athletic and a music thing here. And there's this collage here, but in the center are these words. Some people come into our lives and quietly go. Others stay a while and leave footprints on our hearts. And we are never the same. 
And he said, right there in that office, I asked God for that to be my reality. And guess what? At Dave's office at home, guess what he has on the wall now? That quote. Others stay a while and leave footprints on our hearts, and we are never the same. Friends, God wants us to do just that. To leave his impression on the lives of others because we are following in his way. We're trusting in his son. And we're seeing the spirit of God being manifested in our lives. Friends, think of what our lives and our families and our church will look like. Our jobs, our school, the people we come in contact in our neighborhood. What will it look like living a life of love? The joy, the celebration of God's faithfulness, the growth in our lives, and the great glory of God. That's one of the beauties of loving others. It's not only that we're benefiting others, but our God is glorified in the way he's prescribed in his word. And friends, it's our relationship with God that is the key to reflecting his likeness. So remember this. We are most like God when we love like Christ. Let's pray.